Amen. Certainly appreciate the wonderful words of exhortation regarding worship that we've heard here uh, by Brother McNeil. So good to have him back uh, speaking to us. Amen. <laughs> it's a great blessing. The Lord sure moves in mysterious ways. I'm sure you'll detect that as we continue here and what I have on my mind this morning. Uh, last week I spoke to you about worship and specifically where is the lamb. If we don't know where the lamb is in our worship, then it's all vain. And as we spoke last week regarding Isaac's loving and bold statement as they were going up the mountain to his father, he knew there was something missing if the lamb was not present in their worship. And so, obviously, that is a tremendous component of worship. This morning, we, wanna, we asked last week, where is the lamb? And this morning, we want to ask, where are you? Where am I? Because that's another pretty interest, uh, important component of worship is where am I? Because obviously, if you had an empty church building, there, would, there could be no worship. Okay? So we looked at worship from the perspective of what we are looking for last week. Abraham, where is the lamb? But this week, I want you to look at it from a perspective of what God is looking at. God is looking at us. You know, there was an old Bette Midler song from years ago. God is watching us from a distance. Nothing could be further from the truth. God is not a distant God. He says, am I a God at hand and not a God afar off? So God is watching us. Now, that may give us pause to be uh, afraid. But hopefully, as we look at this this morning, we'll understand there's nothing to be afraid of when we're trusting and seeing the Lamb of God. So as we consider worship this morning and where we are, remember last week I used Psalm 95 and 6 as an introduction verse. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord. And I want to move on over to Psalm 96. If you'll read with me a couple verses there, and it will hopefully introduce us further into the subject of where are we when it comes to worship? And, and also, are there times when all the components can be there? The lamb is there. Uh, we see the lamb and yet still not be pleasing to God because we don't recognize where we are. Psalm 96 and 8, which ties directly into what Brother McNeil was talking about because it comes from the psalm this psalm comes from what David wrote for the dedication of the ark when they came into Jerusalem. David writes and says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. O oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And that's the subject that relates to where are we this morning. And I don't just mean your physical location. I'm talking about internally. Uh, introspectively, looking within ourselves. Are there times that we could come before the Lord and bow before the Lord, as it says here, and comprehend the Lamb of God and yet still not be connected to God in worship? If you remember last week, that was my definition of worship, is connecting with God. And that, the sad answer to that is yes. <laughs> I'm going to give you a few examples from the Old and New Testament, just so you know it won't be relegated to the Old Testament. And you can turn to these if you want to. I'm going to be moving through them fairly quickly. And I'm so thankful that Brother McNeil has given us a, a recap of what went on there with the ark coming to Jerusalem. So that means I don't have to spend a whole lot of time talking about that. <laughs> and Isaiah, the first chapter in the 11th verse, the Lord says this, To what purpose 
To what purpose are you offering and sacrificing to me? Specifically, he refers to vain oblations. Oblations were sacrifices. He says they are vain. And he spoke of abominable incense. And he spoke that he hated their feasts that they were having, their feasts of worship. And he referred to their prayers as being bloody prayers. Can we come before the Lord and comprehend the Lamb and yet still the Lord not be pleased with what we are bringing before Him? According to this, you can. In Isaiah, the 58th chapter, the Lord condemned their fasting. Fasting was a part of their form of worship, a part of what they did to honor God. And the Lord said, you fast for pleasure. (laughs) They were fasting for fun. Now, I'm going to tell you, I've told you all this before, and I completely lost all the blessings that I had in it, I guess, when I revealed that I had done it. But I have fasted one time in my life. And I'm telling you, it was awful. There was no fun in my fasting. Every time my brain stopped thinking about what I was doing, working or whatever, it went to a Reese's cup. (laughs) I kid you not. Uh, You know, I have so pre-programmed the workings of my brain that I think of things like that, you know, cookies and Reese's cup and mama's cinnamon cake and things like, I mean, when I would stop and my, my, I would be distracted, you know, maybe, you know, working and doing some legal stuff at the office. And then when I would just kind of pause and my brain would go on neutral, Reese's cup, cinnamon cake. And, and I'd start getting this feeling down inside me that was painful. I'm telling you, my fast was not for pleasure. And I could, I really, honestly, I, I wimped out. I couldn't do it for as long as I said, I, I said I'm going to do it for this period of time. I couldn't do it. I'm, I'm willing to tell you that. <laughs> and, and I don't know if anything, I don't know if fat, my fasting that one time accomplished anything other than to prove to me what a sorry Christian I am. <laughs> now, if your fasting proves it otherwise, then keep it to yourself or you'll lose the benefit of it. See, I can tell you about it because I didn't really have any benefit in it other than proving how sorry I was. So they're fasting for fun. You want to know all the details about that? You can go and read what they were doing in Isaiah 58. They were fasting for fun. This is fun. Let's fast. It was all about them. And God said, away with your fast. He said, I choose this fast for you. And he goes and details the kind of fasting that they should have been doing. I love this one in Jeremiah 7 and 9. You can't get any more specific than this. And it ties directly into the New Testament. Jeremiah 7 and 9, he says, Will ye steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense unto Baal, walk after other gods whom ye know not, and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations? Is this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. You see, they had all the components in place. The Levites were where they needed to be. Uh, The incense was where it needed to be. They had the sacrifice where it needed to be. They understood the lamb was required and the blood of the lamb was required. And they were coming up there in a seemingly pious way. And yet the Lord said, I will have none of this. Why? Because there was a problem going on in their life. And he names out what some of those problems were. Their personal lives did not match up their worship life. They had their life categorized. So as long as they did this and this and this, then they could go up to the house of the Lord and please God. God said, no. Will ye lie and steal and murder and commit adultery and, and swear falsely and burn incense to Baal, follow other gods? That's, you said, well, I'm so glad that doesn't apply to us today. Are you kidding me? <laughs> We have all kinds of other gods that we follow. There's the God of entertainment, the God of sports, the God of you name it, the God of shopping, the God of of possessions, the God of covetousness. There's all kinds. I believe there's more gods out there to follow today than there were back in the Old Testament. (laughs) And they're inventing new ones every day. You say, well, I don't have those gods. Well, you may have the God of you to follow. (laughs) 
We can make a God out of ourselves. And notice he says, Is this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? That's a direct quote that Jesus Christ gives in the New Testament whenever he runs them out of the temple. And he says, Is my house, my house of prayer become a, become a den of thieves? That's a direct reference to what was going on in the New Testament whenever Jesus came on the scene. And in Mark, the seventh chapter, in the seventh verse, Jesus looked in, in response to the Pharisees' question. They were asking him a question about, Why do you follow the, not follow the traditions of the elders? You know, why don't you follow our, our traditions, our, the Pharisees' traditions that we have come up with? And Jesus turns it back on them and says, why don't you follow the teachings of God? He says, but in vain you're worshiping me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. Now, I don't have time to go into all of the ways in which I can, from the Word of God, show you how there are so many commandments of men taught out there, traditions of men taught out there that are not found in the Word of God. I'll refer you to some of the sermons we preached in the past, uh, specifically maybe the Spiritual Urban Legend series that speaks of the different things that are out there that men teach for commandments of God, but they're the traditions of men. See? Jesus comes on the scene and He says... It's vain, it's empty for you to try to worship me teaching something other than what I have told you to, talk, to, uh, to teach. So you see, there are times when we can come before the Holy God and there, just like this, there are times whenever all the components can be in place and we, we, know, we comprehend it's about the Lamb and all of this and yet the Lord says, are you going to really show up in my house and try to connect with me when your personal life is such a shambles. See? And it all comes down to one thing, the beauty of holiness. David said in Psalms 96 and 9, he says, Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Now, the aspect of the beauty of holiness that I want to focus on has to do with you and me. Because we already, I think, would agree that there is the beautiful holiness of our Savior. He's perfect, he's sinless, he's, he's undefiled. But what we want to focus on is that David said to come before the Lord and worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness versus the ugly of unholiness. You see that? And there's four occurrences. There's actually uh, five places that it occurs, but four instances in the scripture where we have the beauty of holiness referred to. The first one that we're going to spend the most time on is guess what? 2 Samuel, the sixth chapter. But we're going to look at the account in 1 Chronicles 16. In case some of you might have drifted off to sleep, 2 Samuel 6 is where Brother McNeil was. <laughs> I'm going to the Chronicles of the same account, 1 Chronicles 16. That's the first place that it occurs. There's another place that it occurs in 2 Chronicles 20. And it was an instance of worshiping before they went out to war. They worshiped God in the beauty of holiness before they went out to battle. And then there's another place in Psalms 29 that speaks of uh, a psalm of worship where they worship the Lord. He says to worship in the beauty of holiness. And then the last one that's given, the instances, is Psalms 110, which all of you I know are familiar with. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. And it is a psalm, I believe, of Christ as the ultimate worshiper because it says he is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Who was Melchizedek? He was the priest, the high priest of God. Worship, you see, you cannot get any more beautiful. There is no higher order of worship than the order of Jesus Christ. You see, he's perfect. So we want to consider first, First Chronicles 16 and 29. Brother McNeil's done a wonderful job of giving you the background of what's going on there. David is bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. 
uh, bringing the ark to Jerusalem for the first time. And it's been gone out of Israel for about 20 years. You can read that and you can read the account. Now, one of the great things about studying the Bible and the reason we don't need to ever say, well, I just can't get anything out of the Bible. (laughs) You can. The Bible was meant to be studied, not to be read. It was meant to be studied. And you can read it and get some good histories and whatever. But if you'll put together 1 Chronicles 13 through 16, 17, and then read the account in 2 Samuel 6, you will learn some amazing things. And you can put those things together, and it's beautiful. And that's what I'm going to do here for you as we consider some of what Brother McNeil has already talked to us about in 2 Samuel 6, but also in conjunction with what happened in the Chronicles. As Brother McNeil already pointed out, this was a big deal. 30,000 of the greatest men in Israel. Can you imagine 30,000? 30,000. Now, we probably got about 80 or 85 here this morning. 30,000 are gathered for this. That's a big deal. And it says there were captains of thousands, captains of hundreds. And it says in the Chronicles, it says every leader, every leader in Israel was invited to come to this worship service, this dedication service. And there were so many people here. And David says it sent invitations abroad. They sent out invitations to this, uh, this big worship meeting. He sent invitations to the priests and to the Levites. He said, we need you. We're dealing with something important, the ark of God. <laughs> and then, of course, as we've already heard, that ark was set on a cart <laughs> by uh, the, the house of Abinadab. Uh, And his son Uzzah and Ahio were walking in front of it. You know, Uzzah was walking beside the ark. Now here's something very important. Very, very important. Listen to me carefully. From what I can tell in studying and researching about the house of Abinadab, he was not a priest. I can't see that he was a Levite. So you understand what's going on here? Somebody might say, well, that's just cruel what God did. No, this man was a non-priest who was walking along beside the ark, probably with a whip, you know, getting those oxen to go along. And Ahio, the brothers walking in front. These are not priests. You see? And so as David and all of these 30,000 invited guests and people are going along and worshiping, as Brother McNeil described him, they're decked out in the best they've got. All of the components are there. Are y'all with me? They see that it's about the Lamb because they're going up to Jerusalem to worship. They see that they're bringing God's ark, the mercy seat. They need mercy. And all the leaders are there. They're honoring God to the best of their ability. The band's playing. The, the, the Levites are strumming. And all the people are just going. They're just having a great time. David is having the time of his life. He's happy as he can be. And yet, one little touch of the hand by Uzzah on the ark. Bam! The Lord kills him. And you think about where God's perspective was there that day. You hear me? That ought to be a lesson to us in terms of how we worship today. What is God's perspective? Was God looking at the, the gigantic, you know, probably three or four hundred member band that was playing? Was He looking at the way their clothes were decked out and ironed and they were dressed so appropriately and their, the ladies' hair was, was combed. The ladies' hair was combed. The men's hair was uh, neatly quaffed and, and they're just all, they're ready. They're, they're in their minds. They're worshiping the Lord. And the Lord's He's looking at none of that. that that's pretty sobering, isn't it? You say, well, what are you saying, Brother Tim? I'm saying we ought to be in a constant assessment mode of where we are when it comes to worship, you see? We ought to come before the Lord in respect and, and say, Lord, where are you? Oh, we've got all the components here. The singing was beautiful. The, the people are, are decked out and they wore their Sunday best. But Lord, where is your perspective? 
to the Lord, he had just blocked out all the rest of that. And he's watching these two non-Levites walk along with a nasty old oxen pulling his God's ark on a cart. God's just focused on that. He doesn't care about any of the rest of the stuff. Pretty sobering, isn't it? One of the greatest events, as we've already heard described, one of the greatest events that occurs in the history of Israel, they're bringing the ark to home to Jerusalem for centralized worship there. I love the way you put that, brother. To have worship centralized right there in Jerusalem. This is a big deal. God's not paying attention to any of that. He's seeing how these non-Levites are getting closer and closer to his ark. In one little touch. Bam. He say, well, that's, that's, that's harsh. You know, why couldn't God, you know, just absorb that loss? Oh, I, I promise you. I promise you. He did absorb that loss. About a thousand years later, he did. Many, many wicked men touched his ark. Touched his son. Touched his golden boy. I assure you, even the wrath of God touched him. It pales in comparison to what God did with Uzzah. What he did to his own son. So don't go crying over that. Don't say, oh, God's just harsh. He was not harsh. God had told them exactly what needed to be done. He had given them specific instruction. It was already written down in the days of Moses. All they had to do was what? Listen to me now. (laughs) All they had to do was read. Isn't that simple? All they had to do was read. Oh, child of God, don't you know that there's just, there's just, we're on the cusp of revival. You hear me? At any moment, in any decade, in any century, God's people sit on the cusp of revival. You say, well, it's got to be some newfangled way to worship to come up with, right? Nope. <laughs> it's got to be some new way or new idea or new wave that comes in or, or new something or other. No, nope, no. Nope. It just comes down to reading the Word of God. <laughs> God designed the foolishness of preaching and of His Word to confound the wise. Isn't it beautiful? You say, is that for real? Every revival that has ever occurred, every significant revival from the Reformation to the Great Awakening all the way down through time. Even back in these days, whenever they found the book of the law, years after this, when they found the book of the law in the house of God, it was covered up with the money. They covered up the book of the law in the house of God in the days of Josiah. The money that they'd been collecting to repair and make the temple beautiful again had had been dumped over on top of the Word of God. And you know what it says? They cleaned it out. They got the money out. They got that issue. That They got that side issue out of the way. And they found the Word of God. <laughs> oh, child of God, every generation is just on the cusp of revival. And it all comes down to something that looks so simple and so foolish in the eyes of man. It's just read the Word of God. David, it says he was afraid of God. Can y'all picture them there? The trumpets are going, the band's playing, the cymbals are... You know, they're doing all this great big stuff for the Lord. David's dancing and they're shouting glory. They're having this great big wonderful time and Uzzah touches the ark and you know the band just kind of... Just kind of plays down, and David's just standing there. You see? What, what, what happened? Um, I think I saw Uzzah touch the heart. He's dead. He says David was afraid of God. You know why? Because David hadn't read the Word of God. 
I think about three months pass. Best I can tell, a month to three months pass. David said, we're not, this is it. I mean, you talk about raining on somebody's parade. <laughs> David said, it's over with. Everybody go home. Who's is dead. This is it. No more worship today. Can, can you imagine me just running y'all out right now? Especially, you know, if we, if we think the Spirit's, I'm sorry, I don't feel it. Uh, Brother Tim doesn't feel it anymore. You know, <laughs> I'm not picking on Brother Luke. Brother Luke's falling over dead, so we just everybody going home, you know. <laughs> it would actually be reversed. Brother Luke, we'd you, I'd be the one that touched the ark, okay? That's going home, it's over. That'd rain on your parade, wouldn't it? Imagine if you were in, about to come in Jerusalem, about seven or eight miles, coming past this area, and David just says, go home. What you going to do? He's the king. Go home. David's afraid of God. But something happened. Something happened. First Chronicles, the 15th chapter. It says that David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it a tent. See, the temple hadn't been built yet. Then David said, listen to what David says. Now this is after Uzzah has been struck dead. This non-Levite. This is after they made their first attempt to bring the ark in. And David says in verse 2, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto Him forever. Y'all know what's going on here, don't you? Old David's been doing some reading. He didn't just go home and pout and sulk and stay mad at God for the rest of his life. No, you know what David did? Whenever he was confronted with the fact that something wasn't right, when he was confronted with the fact that something was missing in the worship of God, all of the components were there. Everything was as it should be at that particular time, except they weren't following the due order of the Word of God. And David started reading the Word of God. And then he goes, and this man who's a king, he goes and tells the priests what they're supposed to be doing. Isn't that something? The priests ought to be saying, hey, David, we found what happened here. But David says, none but the priests, none but the Levites ought to carry the ark of God. Now watch this. David takes another shot at it here. It says, David gathered all Israel, verse 3, together to Jerusalem to bring up the ark of God in his place. Don't you know as they went out to do this that over the back of their minds and over their head was hanging the dark cloud of Uzzah's death? Thinking, are we going to make it again this time? Uh, don't you know that those guys that actually were charged with carrying the ark at this time were thinking, maybe what happened to Uzzah is going to happen to us. <laughs> but praise be to God, King David went ahead. Why? Why? Because King David had been reading the Word of God. David assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites, so the sons of Kohath. He lists them all out down there. And he goes on down, uh, verse 12. He says to them, he gathers them together. And he says to them, ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourself both ye and your brethren, that ye may bring up the ark of God of Israel into the place that I have prepared. Now watch verse 13. For because ye did it not at the first, because you didn't carry the ark at the first, because you left it to someone that it wasn't even supposed to be around the ark, the Lord our God made a breach upon us for that we sought Him not after the due order. That's something, isn't it? You think it's important for us to seek the Lord after the due order? We see where is the Lamb. That's the due order in our day and time. You understand that? We have to be coming together to seek the Lamb. And we also want to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You see, when God looked down, let's make sure you get this. I want want you to have this clear as a bell. When God looked down and He saw, He was already... You know, God already apparently had a snarl on his nose 
You know, he's got one of those snarls. We joke about the snarls, you know, the, the old Lewis snarl. That's some of our family. We can call it because it's our family members. But, you know, I got that snarl going. God was snarling. And then when Uzzah touched the ark, it was more than he could take. Wham! He said, you're not touching my ark. You know why? There was no beauty of holiness. It was unholy. It was the ugly of unholiness. Because an unqualified, uncalled man, God had not called this man and his, and his family to handle the ark. He called the Levites to handle the ark. All they had to do was read. So David says, that was an ugly thing that we did. We need to try again, and we need to, you priests to sanctify yourself. That means to set yourself apart, to present yourself as holy. So the priests and the Levites, verse 14, sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord of God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon, the sticks, the poles, as Moses commanded according to the word of the Lord. <laughs> and nobody knows exactly, exactly what the ark looked like. Some of you may have seen, as I did growing up, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, <laughs> one of my favorite movies. And when they, Indiana Jones and his buddy Sala go down into the the big temple area there in Egypt and they take the poles, you know, and they stick them through the, the ornate looking. I don't know exactly what the ark looked like, but that's a pretty good indication of how they carried it. They, they had these rings on each side of the ark, two, three rings on each side, I believe. And they had these poles prepared that you would stick down through those holes. So you never had to touch the ark. God didn't want his ark to be touched. So here it says that the children of the Levites bear the ark upon their shoulders with the staves. Nobody has touched the ark as Moses commanded according to the word of the Lord. You see, it wasn't just with Moses' preference. No, it was God's preference. Don't touch my ark. <laughs> so you see, now watch this. David in verse 16 appoints singers to sing as they go, very similar to what they did before. The first try, 17, it says he appointed the Levites to sing and to praise God. And verse 18, with the, uh, with the brethren of the second degree, they had different degrees of singers and worshipers. And verse 19 speaks of that. You come on down uh, to verse um, 25. It says, so David with the elders of Israel and the captains over thousands went up to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the house of Obed-Edom, which is where they had put it during that period of time. And it came to pass when, watch this verse now, when God helped the Levites that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord. How about that? That's quite different than the ark sitting on a cart and the Lord looking upon that and saying, that's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. You see, God actually helped the Levites whenever they sought the Lord after the due order. Now we get into 1 Chronicles 16. They bring the ark into Jerusalem. See, see, the worship is not just over after they bring it in. They bring the ark into Jerusalem and they set it in the place wherever uh, the, David had prepared for them to set it. And as they continued with this incredible worship service, David has written a song. <laughs> Psalm 96. The one we referred to when we began this morning. David has written a song. And I'm telling you, I, I know with all of my heart, because it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that one of the reasons that David had this line in his song was because of what happened with Uzzah. Because of the ugly of unholiness that God saw there and what happened without them seeking the Word of God. So David includes this line in his psalm that he wrote. Notice down in verse 7. It says that on that day, David delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord into the hand of he said this psalm to thank the Lord. He delivered it into the hand of Asaph, which was one of the great singers of that day, and his brethren. He, Asaph also wrote some psalms. 
So he says, give thanks unto the Lord. Verse 9, sing unto him. Verse 10, glory in his holy name. Verse 11, seek the Lord with his, with, and his strength. Seek his face. Verse 12, remember his marvelous works. Verse 14, he is the Lord our God. Verse 15, be ye mindful always of his covenant, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations, even of the covenant which he made with Abraham and of his oath with Isaac, and hath confirmed the same to Jacob for a law and to Israel for an everlasting covenant, Say unto, saying unto thee will I give the land of Canaan, the lot of your inheritance, when you were but few, even a few and strangers in it. And when they went from nation to nation and from one kingdom to another people, he suffered no man to do them wrong. Yea, he reproved kings for their sakes. Here comes the lamb saying, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. You think he had Uzzah in mind who touched the ark whenever he said, touch not mine anointed. I guarantee you that he did. Verse 25. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods for all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord made the heavens glory and honor are in his presence. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give unto the Lord Ye kindreds of the people, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Here we go now. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering. You hear that? That's worship. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You see, it was the ugly of unholiness that caused Uzzah to lose his life. But it's the beauty of holiness that is attractive to God. Listen, I want you to think about the occurrences that I've given you of when worshiping the Lord and the beauty of holiness is given. First of all, here we have one of the greatest worship services. The first one looked like it started out really good, but then Uzzah, in his, the ugly of his unholiness, died. But the second go around, it is beautiful. It's worshiping the Lord and the beauty of holiness because they are observing what God is pleased with. It's 2 Chronicles 20 and 21, as Jehoshaphat was going out to face an army that was far superior to him. Now, let me ask you, what would you think of our generals today if they were going to take over, try to attack a far superior force? And you went out to maybe or see it on TV and you saw, you observed the troops going forward and the tanks rolling forward and the infantry marching forward. And you looked out there out front. You said, what's that out there out front? Oh, that's that's the um, that's the choral group that the generals said to put out front to worship God, sing praises to God for the beauty of holiness and asking us to bless. We're having a worship service before we go out to battle. You see, that's what Jehoshaphat did. He said, put the singer... And you know, there's probably a lot of children in that too. I wouldn't be surprised. Definitely some young people. So out there in front of the hardened war soldiers in the days of Jehoshaphat when he faced that superior army, they worshiped the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And you know what? They never even had to fight. God caused the enemy army to fight each other. They got discombobulated, as we say, and they began to fight each other. And they killed each other. And Israel went and spoiled everything they had. Gold, silver, all the things that they had in their camp. <laughs> Another place, as I said, in Psalm 29, is where it's a psalm of worship. It speaks of worshiping the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And then in Psalms 110 and 3, which I believe portrays Christ as the worshiper. It says in Psalms uh, 110 and 3, if you want to turn there... <clears throat> It speaks, of the be- it speaks of the beauties of holiness. And you know what? I believe with all of my heart that you are the beauties. <laughs> you are His beauties. 
Psalm 110, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. That's repeated in the New Testament. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. Oh, I believe when you see Christ Jesus in heaven one day, he'll have the dew of his youth upon him. Only 33 and a half years old. He is frozen in time, if you will. Actually frozen in eternity at that age. I believe he still has the dew of his youth upon him and all of his children will too. (laughs) The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Verse four, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You could get no higher in worship than the order of Melchizedek, who it says was the priest of the most high God. Jesus Christ is the highest of order of worshipers, you see, and we are his beauties. (laughs) You say, how in the world can a ruined sinner come before the Lord? And how can inherently unholy and ugly beings be beautiful in holiness? First of all, by understanding who the Lamb is and what the Lamb has done for you. The Lamb has imposed His righteousness upon you. You don't have any righteousness of your own. It says our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We don't come before the Lord offering our goodness or our righteousness or our abilities or our good looks or our lack of good looks or whatever it may be. We come before the Lord in the beauty of holiness, understanding that His holiness has been imposed upon us. The imputed righteousness of Christ. And now, from a practical standpoint, I was thinking about this. When am I, and this is really a question for Sister Tracy, but when am I, as the husband of, uh, of Tracy McCool, the most appealing to her? When? Is it when I'm cranky and bitter and biting and, uh, you know, a sore tail? I mean, is that when I am the most appealing to her? Absolutely not. It's when I'm kind and when I'm loving and when I speak kindly to her. And whenever I treat her in a loving way, that is when I am the most appealing to her. She, she sees the covenant that we made. I see the covenant that we made. And I always honor the covenant. But there are times whenever that covenant is polished and shine and looks great. And it has to do with my own purity in that covenant, you see. Of how I treat her, how I interact with her, how much more our Heavenly Father, whenever we are acting in a way of kindness towards one another and love towards one another and, and caring for one another, whether it's in our whether it's in our marriages or with our children or in general with our church brothers and sisters, how does the Lord see that? He's the one that has the covenant, you see. He made a covenant to save you, and it's a covenant very similar, uh, very compared to a marriage covenant, you see. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the wife or the bride of Christ. So when we come before the Lord to worship Him in the beauty of holiness, you see, the Lord says, would you lie, steal, cheat, cuss each other out, you know, beat each other up, treat each other in a horrible way, and then come before my courts and say to me, here I am, Lord, oh, look at me. (laughs) See, the Lord says, that's not it. That's no different than Uzzah putting his hand on the ark and the Lord snarling and going, bam, Again, I'm not saying here, oh goodness, are you afraid I'm going to put my hand on the ark like Uzzah did? Let me tell you, we're living in an age of praise God, mercy. (laughs) You see, when am I the most appealing to my wife? It's when I'm kind and considerate and loving and helpful. I tell you, she's always appealing to me. (laughs) That's why I'm using myself as an example. (laughs) She's always appealing to me. She's always kind and always loving and always helpful. I'm just... 
I'm just an old part head sometimes. Y'all pray for her, please. <laughs> you see, we're the most appealing to God whenever we're acting like the Lord acted towards us. You see, that's why in first Peter, he says, be ye holy as I am holy. So I can't be holy. I'm a sinner. That's right. In one sense, you can never be as holy as God. But in another sense, God has imposed his holiness upon you through the sacrifice of his son. And you see the lamb, you see where the Lord is, you see, but he's right here too. You can repent. You can serve the Lord. You can worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You see, my final example to you on worshiping the Lord and the beauty of holiness. I just can't. I just can't see how a sinner like me can come before the Lord and offer something that pleases God. Well, I, you can join my club because I feel the same way. I've joked with you and said before, especially when the kid, the kids were little, and we come wheeling in, you know, from spanking, switching maybe the wrong kid, reaching around and switching that one, and oh, he got the wrong one. Got to get the other one. Everybody snarls, y'all better act right. Everybody straighten up, we're going to worship God, you know. And you come walking in the door, hey, how you doing? It's good to see you. Oh, I'm so holy. Are you kidding me? I see you've been through that yourself. You may go through it again Wednesday night, Sunday morning. It happens. But the beautiful thing about God is in an instant, in a thought, in just a moment, you can look up and you can say, as the publican said in Luke 18, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said that man went down to his house justified. You see, the, the Pharisee came in all of his righteousnesses. It was just filthy rags and snarls before the Lord. Away with this. I will have none of this because it's all about him. But the publican who had a terrible job terrible job, hated among his people, he could not so much as lift up his eyes unto heaven. And he said, God, Elohim, God, be merciful. I need mercy. Why? Because I see myself as a sinner. And Jesus, out of his own blessed mouth, said, that man went down to his house justified. That man had worshipped. You want to worship the Lord? You must see the Lamb. There's no doubt about that. The Lord has provided the Lamb. Where are we? We should worship Him in the beauty of holiness. 1 Peter 1.13 Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be holy. For I am holy. Oh, may God bless us to come before Him and see the Lamb. May all the components be there. May it all be there. May we be focused on the Lamb and see what the blood has done for us. And may God never look upon us and say, away with your worship. Away with this. Because we're not presenting ourselves in the beauty of holiness. And if you say, well, it's too late for me. <laughs> I'm too far gone. I've messed up too many times. Let me tell you something. I'm sure the thief on the cross thought that too. I'm sure he thought that. And what's Jesus' words? He said, today thou shalt see me in paradise. I say to you, child of God, with one thought of repentance, with one confession as the publican did, I say to you, child of God, that today you will see the Lamb of God. Today the Lord smiles upon His people. Just by saying, I'm a sinner. I have no righteousness.
Let us worship Him in the beauty of holiness. Let us see the Lamb, but let us also see where we are. If there's one or more here that would like to follow the Lord in New Testament baptism, it's an appropriate thing. We give that opportunity as we stand and sing.